Welcome to BIV Today. I'm Tyler Orchin. Well, BC's economy has certainly been through the ringer amid the pandemic, but growth has actually been quite robust in 2021 amid the recovery. But I think next year we might be facing some headwinds. With us to delve into this last year as well as what's ahead, it is Ked Peacock. He is Chief Economist at the Business Council of British Columbia and his colleague and fellow economist David Williams, Senior Vice President of Policy at the Business Council. I want to thank both of you guys for joining us on the show today. Thanks, Tyler. Good to be with you. Thanks for having us. So the Business Council, you, uh, you guys are uh, part of that. You authored a uh, co-authored a report uh, revealing, you know, your take on the latest economic forecast. Now, looking at it, you know, maybe Ken, I'll start with you. I think what's on a lot of folks' minds is maybe kind of the uh, near-term impact of the flooding. Uh, did you have to change the outlook on the BC economy in terms of growth for 2021, just based on what those economies did in, in terms of, you know, choking off, say, supply chains and, and kind of rattling many people out there? Yeah, 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 Tyler, we uh, we did. I'll, I'll start off by just saying, you know, it, the, the environment is very fluid. It's it's difficult. It's, it's, you know, forecasting is always challenging. It's especially challenging now with viruses and closures and whatnot. Uh, so trying to get a, a specific handle on the impact is is difficult, but there's no doubt there's negative economic implications. I sort of conceptualize it as there's these very highly localized impacts, obviously, you know, right on farmlands and where the floods occurred, uh, but it radiates out and it disrupts the supply chains and it, it have difficulty getting products to market. And there's no, there's no doubt there's implications there for the BC economy. So it, we kind of think, you know, two tenths, three tenths of a percentage point is probably what, what the, the downward adjustment is attributable to the flooding. But, but it is hard to get a precise number. But uh, I, I think the important thing is just to recognize the, the, the negative implications are, are, concentrated and uh, and hurting some areas and regions much more so than others. But there are province-wide uh, impacts for sure. Well, it's been almost a month now. Uh, are, are you happy or do you think the province should be optimistic with regards to the rate of kind of the rebuilding efforts, you know, getting those uh, highways reopened and rebuilt? I know there's a lot more work to do, but how optimistic should the province be right now? Yeah, I, I think we're in good shape. Um, it, it's interesting when when the when it sort of became evident just how much and how widespread the devastation was and the the uh, b- breaking of transportation connections. It, it uh, you know it looked pretty dire, but I I do remember thinking to myself we will probably be uh, repair it more quickly than it would appear at the time, and that's just because government you know they, clearly because it was so important and that's one thing that is kind of this crisis has revealed, Tyler, is just how dependent we are on these transportation linkages, pipelines, railways, highways. Uh, it really did shine a light on that. So I always in the back of my mind figured it would be a, a sort of a full court press, if I can use that term, to get things and the connections repaired. And, and I think that's what we're seeing. The The efforts really have been extraordinary. Uh, and I think we're going to be a little bit surprised on the upside in terms of getting uh, th- things back operational again. Well, you know, David, I'll ask you this, though. You know, right now, your outlook has uh, projected that the province's GDP, uh, uh, GDP, I should say, it's going to be uh, 5% growth for 2021. Are we going to be able to maintain that robust rate of growth going into 2022, though? 
Uh, I think so, Tyler. What we're seeing at the moment is uh, some interaction between you know demand and supply. You've got central banks and the uh, the government of Canada running a, a very heavy uh, fiscal deficit. So that's obviously stimulating demand, and that's not just happening in Canada. That's that's happening around the world uh, with the U.S. administration uh, and uh, and other central banks around the world are, are also. Uh, taking a very highly accommodative stance to support the interest-sensitive interest sectors of the economy, like housing investment and durable goods. But at the same time, all that demand is running up against some difficulties in supply. So in our, uh, in our forecast, we've acknowledged the fact that um, you might like demand to be stronger, but ultimately you're going to be limited by some of these uh, supply side constraints that we're seeing around the world. Uh, and that's generating uh, a lot of inflation too. Well, speaking of inflation, uh, former Bank of Canada Governor Stephen Paulus, he was in Vancouver last week. I, I got to sit in on the uh, fireside chat and um, he, he really downplayed inflation concerns. He actually, uh, I'll just say this, he took a couple shots at media uh, more than once throughout this and said that maybe we were overplaying kind of what uh, we should be concerned about here. Um, how much should we be paying attention to kind of the, the overall concerns about inflation right now? Well, Tyler, the, the general approach that economists take is that when it comes to monetary policy, if you get a supply side shock, uh, like, you know, a big rise in petrol prices, um, you know, it's, monetary policy is not the best approach to, to respond to that. Um, and while, but while that's true, that's kind of leaving out what's happening on the other side of the equation, which is demand. And you couldn't possibly argue that central banks and uh, governments around the world are taking a neutral approach to demand. They're throwing a lot of emergency stimulus at uh, particularly those interest sensitive sectors of the economy like housing investment and durable goods. Uh, but they're running up against uh, capacity constraints. Um, you know, some that, that are related to the pandemic for sure and shipping delays and, and shortages of key components, um, but not all. Uh, and so I think you have to look at the supply and the demand situation rather than sort of just focusing on, on supply and leaving out what's happening on demand. Well, one of the things I'm also very curious about, though, <laughs> just uh, looking forward to some of the challenges that may sit ahead of us. Uh, one of the things that uh, you folks note in uh, the Outlook is Ottawa's efforts to bring in uh, more than a million immigrants over the next three years, part of an effort to you know address some of the labor issues. But you folks, you do have some concerns about that policy. I'm, I'm wondering if you can kind of expand on that, uh, Ken, with regards to why maybe you think the, the federal government made a bit of an error in terms of this uh, uh, policy objective uh, for immigration. Sure, sure. And just before I do, time, I just I'll, I'll just jump back to your previous question just, yeah. just quickly and, and just note the, the inflation. I, I, I will admit I was a little more sanguine about, about the inflation concerns, maybe kind of a, a, a central bank philosophy. And uh, sure. David, my, my colleague, was much more alive to the, the pressures and the inflationary pressures that we're going to see. And I, I think it's proving to be uh, more permanent uh, and, and less transitory than than, than the central banks and Stephen Polos you were referencing uh, had thought perhaps a few months back. So ju just, uh, yeah, it's probably going to be a bit of a, 
a challenge uh, in 2022 for sure. And uh, if we see higher inflation kind of extend into 2023, then then central banks are going to have some difficulties and on the theme that you just brought up some challenges in the future. But uh, back to the the immigration question. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it's a it's a challenge. It's uh, we're basically what happened is the you know we we're hit with a shock in the on, on the economy, but then you know uh, immigration was scaled back when it was difficult to process people. But since then, when when borders have kind of reopened and it's become a little bit more fluid, uh, immigration numbers have been ramped back up. And this is at a time when the economy was kind of in in difficult circumstances. So absorbing those people into the into the workforce into the labor market is probably a, a challenging time and a difficult time. So real the the real question is kind of around the timing of the policy and the reality that um, it doesn't necessarily, you know, bringing in a whole bunch of more people, they are a supply of labor, but they also demand services too. So it's, you know, it's not necessarily a quick fix uh, as, as it may appear initially when, you know, just bringing in people to fill, uh, fill jobs and that are in demand. And the other kind of complicating factor is, immigration you do get people who are entering the workforce but you also get family people coming along with other immigrants so if you get 50,000 new immigrants you know into BC not all of them flow into the workforce so there are these other kind of subtle uh, complicating factors to consider and I, I don't know David do you have anything to add to that but that's basically the backdrop of what kind of what we were questioning yeah and 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 there's a there's a further bit of background to that which is that you know um there is a lot of emphasis on on labor supply labor supply strategies uh, to drive economic growth in Canada, and and sure, having a larger population gives you uh, gives you a lift to GDP, but it doesn't give you anything for per capita GDP, which is what really matters for living standards and and real incomes uh, for Canadians. Um, you know, Canadian real income growth is uh, was incredibly slow. Before the pandemic, uh, GDP per capita growth was only 0.3% in the five years uh, leading up to the pandemic on average. Um, so we'd pretty much come to a almost uh, a standstill. And then, of course, we were hit by the pandemic. So, you know, in, in terms of our performance compared to other countries, we are towards the back of the pack. Uh, and in fact, the OECD predicts that Canada will be the worst performing advanced econ- economy in terms of its uh, real income per capita growth. Uh, over the next 10 years, and also we will be the worst performing country over the three decades after that. So what we have is an economic strategy that is mainly based around stimulating demand for those interest-sensitive sectors of the economy that I mentioned, um, setting off a credit boom and, and this leading to a lot of housing investment and, uh, and uh, durable goods consumption. But uh, it's not leading to the kinds of uh, increases in business investment per worker and productivity growth that we need to improve real incomes and living standards for Canadians. So it's sort of prosperity free economic growth at the moment. And and that's why we've been critical about that, that Canada's economic strategy is largely missing uh, policies that would drive prosperity and higher real incomes for Canadians. Well, yeah. looking forward to 2022, I, I mean, what, what is demand going to be like for labor uh, m- moving forward? Because I, I can imagine like we're having uh, trouble filling in uh, many positions right now. Are you hopeful that it might improve? That's me. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in, Tyler. So the, the, um, the, the sort of framework and, and backdrop that David just laid out, 
the what's going on right now is we we do expect a fairly robust growth to continue, as David was saying a, a while ago uh, in 2022. But this is still climbing out of the hole and the, the pandemic crisis. Uh, tourism still isn't open, international travel. So that's kind of the, the driver of the still robust growth uh, in 2022. But when we get out to 2023 and we kind of get past this filling the hole uh, circumstance and, and move into more normal, normalized uh, environments with uh, rates, probably interest rates, probably somewhat higher. That's when this this slowdown and this uh, uh, growth that isn't driven by pro- productivity necessarily st- starts to bite. So we do see a downturn. Uh, the labor market is complicated, Tyler. Uh, there's no doubt businesses clearly are having difficulty filling jobs that we in BC have the highest job rate vacancy rate uh, kind of on, on record and also the highest in the country. So b- businesses are challenged, but uh, you know, at, at the, at the same time, uh, the, it's it's not clear that there's going to be enough people. Um, so 2023 uh, slowdown. I'm I'm a little little befuddled as to exactly what to make of the labor market. I do think when the CERB and some of these other supports wind up, we are going to see more inflow of people that were in the labor market prior to the pandemic. This is going to help ease some of the adjustment. But the reality is, Tyler, at the end of the day. Uh, there's going to be upward pressure on wages and to, to circle back to the inflationary uh, concerns. Uh, we do expect upward pressure on wages because that's how you're going to get people back into these positions uh, and fill these jobs, uh, particularly when there are these constraints and, and potential shortages. Uh, David, did you have any other? Yeah, I'll, I'll just make the, the the broader point that you know we are facing a global shift towards digital technologies. We are, we, are in the, we are not only on the cusp, we're now in a, a digital revolution, the fourth industrial revolution. Now you would think that you know, production in the economy is gonna become a lot more technolo- technologically intensive. It's gonna become more capital intensive. Uh, that's how we're gonna have higher incomes. But what we see is the exact opposite of that. Um, capital in the economy is scarce and labor in the economy is plentiful. Uh, that's a strange way to enter the fourth industrial revolution. Um, if there's some, been some very good research from the C.D. Howe Institute looking at the level of capital investment per worker, uh, and it's declining across most types of, of business assets, uh, so much so that the amount of capital stocks, so this is all the capital equipment and technologies and intangible assets, R&D, software, all of that that we use in the workforce to be incredibly productive uh, on a per worker basis is in decline and and the total capital stock is actually in decline. Now, I've been a professional economist for 25 years. I always assumed that an economy over time operates with more capital per worker uh, so that it becomes more productive and you get higher incomes. But in Canada, our capital stock per worker is actually shrinking. And I didn't even think that was possible. But that's the that's the, what the research says, and that's the world we're living in. So our concerns around the, the, the sort of the economic game plan that we have in Canada is there's not really much there to drive higher incomes and living standards for Canadians. Yes, we're getting some top line GDP growth. It's mostly coming through population growth. It's mostly flowing to Toronto. 
Vancouver and Montreal. So obviously those cities are going to become a lot bigger. Uh, but does it raise per capita GDP and real incomes and real wages? Um, yeah, the evidence is that it doesn't. Is there some sort of low-hanging fruit uh, in, in terms of uh, government policy to kind of address these concerns? Well, the, the, you know, the, the avenues are there. The budget is there. The fiscal update is there uh, for the federal government to sort of pursue some of these, uh, these, these issues. But um, we don't really see ev- evidence of, of heading down that track at the moment. Uh, one of the most obvious ways is to improve the ability to trade amongst ourselves. Um, you know, Canada pursues international free trade agreements, but doesn't have free trade within the pro- between the provinces. Um, I mean, that's just a free lunch uh, sitting yeah. there for us to pursue. And that's non-inflationary growth that we could have. Well, just as we wrap up here, the thing that I'll leave this on, though, is I, I recall uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, BC Labor Minister Harry Baines introduced a new program, uh, you know, permanent uh, sick leave for those that need it uh, five days uh, every year. He said it would, you know, increase productivity and, and uh, help with retention rates. Um, BCBC says that there could be some unintended consequences behind this. Uh, Ken, uh, why might this not necessarily backfire, but why might this uh, be a bit of a, a burden for some of the businesses out there in British Columbia? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's it's mostly a, a, a question of timing, uh, Tyler. The Sure, the Sick, sick pay policies that they are there are in place in other industrialized countries uh, and there's the you know coming into into work sick concern uh, but the the reality is these five days they're a direct cost businesses pay the the entire freight and we are just kind of wondering about the timing I mean businesses many businesses particularly smaller ones are struggling with the costs associated with the pandemic uh, they have other rising costs rising input costs labor challenges. And then, uh, you know, CPP premiums are going up uh, more than normal, and that's an expense for, for employers. Uh, same with employment insurance premiums jumping uh, kind of twice or two or three times what they normally would increase. So there's all these additional costs. So it's, it's really kind of a, a, a question or an issue uh, of timing. Um, so the government decided to, to, to forge ahead with it and put the policy in place. Uh, there is the backdrop of the virus so that makes it more complicated and kind of intensifies pressures uh, for sick days at, at this time. Uh, then the federal government is going to go ahead with, with 10 days. So we sort of struck a little bit of a balance here in, in British Columbia. But it's really the, the question for us really is around the timing and the additional costs that businesses are facing right now, Tyler. Well, gentlemen, always a pleasure speaking to you both. I want to thank everyone for uh, taking time. And uh, just as we wrap up here, that is Ken Peacock, Chief Economist at the Business Council of British Columbia, and David Williams, Senior Vice President of Policy at the Business Council. Thank you both for joining us on the show. Thanks very much, Tyler. And that is it for BIV today, but we'll be back. This is our last show of the year. We'll be back in early January. In the meantime, go to BIV.com. We'll be updating the website throughout the holidays. There will be stories. There will be more features there, but you can also find additional videos and interviews, and it'll it'll be a good time there. So I just want to have a, a, a great new year for everybody out there. Thank you for listening over 2021, and look forward to talking more in 2022. That's it for BIV Today. I'm Tyler Orton. 